0: hi i'm Fioni. i'm a mother a birth keeper a teacher a woman's mentor a body worker a doula and so much more
1: hi i'm deborah i'm a mother a humanitarian worker a yoga teacher and a student doula
0: in this podcast we bring together women who share their journeys to motherhood with us
1: we want women to share their doubts their fears what they've learned along the way and their memories our goal is to inspire inform and empower
0: each woman is unique and has a story to tell. We hope that you'll love these stories as much as
1: we do. Welcome to the Becoming Mother Podcast.
0: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Jenny. I can't believe that it's a year that uh, you were doing Moms and Babes Yoga with me. I sent you those pictures this morning.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that picture. It brings back such wonderful memories and it gave me a big FOMO that I'm missing those classes nowadays. Uh, now I'm sitting in Kenya and I'm missing you so much and I'm so happy we're doing this so we get to connect um, again.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, so today we're going to be interviewing Kathleen. Kathleen's really special to me. She uh, was blessed to be there at both of her births. Uh, We really came a long way um, with preparing for her two great births. Uh, And she's really funny. You're going to love it.
1: Thank you so much, Théonie, for insisting that we get Kathleen on our podcast. She's such a gem. She's so so well-spoken. She's so funny. And she does have a lot of wisdom. And I love that she shared her story and everything. She had no taboo. Uh, She spoke about everything so freely and so openly. So I think you are going to love this episode. Hi,
0: and good morning. Morning. It's a morning. We're doing a a morning one, which we haven't been doing before. We've been doing evenings. (laughs) So it's so lovely to be here in the morning. And Kathleen is with us. And yeah, so happy to have her join us today. So how's your morning been with getting the kids to school, Kathleen? And not at school, they're
2: on break. So if you do hear oh. my son, he's on his balance bike just outside my study and he's pretending yes, yes. to be an ambulance driver. So there's a siren going. So just Excellent. bear in mind, but it, it just is what it is. We keep it moving. Exactly.
1: Exactly. That's what being being a mother is all about. Eh?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you? Debra? Good morning. Yeah, you know, good. I realized that I used to not be a morning person and becoming a mother made me more of a morning person. Not by choice, but I actually love it.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I love but it yet, Deborah. I, I totally hear you. I'm not a morning person yet. I don't know if I love it <laughs> yet, if the truth be told. Um, I'm a morning person, but I'm not a happy morning person until I've had my second cup of coffee. <laughs> 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 Have you had your second cup of coffee yet? <laughs> This is the second one. (laughs) But it's always nice to see your face, you know, so. Yeah, I think
0: you are the only
1: morning person here.
0: (laughs) I'm the only morning person, and I'm also the only person that probably doesn't drink coffee. So um, that's interesting. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) maybe they go together. Who knows? (laughs) I don't think so. Great. (laughs) Okay. Kathleen and I go back uh, many years. And of course, in preparing for today, I was reflecting on that we met via a friend client from many years ago. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Kathleen lived, we lived across the road from each other. We've both moved subsequently. But when she was having her first baby and when we were preparing for her first birth, she lived across the road. So it was so lovely. And she was like, okay, I'm walking across the road now. (laughs) And then I would meet her at the gate. So it it was just so lovely to, yeah, to know that she was right there. And of course, when she went into labor, I could just like go, okay, well, let's go then. And yeah, so it was just so lovely. And I've got a special place in my heart for Kathleen, like so many of my clients. Yeah, but you just are very special to us. And I just would really love to, yeah, that's why we asked you to be here, to just tell us about your stories.
2: So I'm Kathleen. I am 37, turning 38 this year. I have got two boys, one who is six and the other one who has just turned three. Initially, I always assumed I would have a whole slew of little girls and they would be in gumboots and little tulle tutus. And I now live in a frat house, much to my... I wouldn't say even say dismay because actually, I'm thoroughly enjoying it now. But the first time I found out that I was having a boy, I did cry because I was really unsure about raising boys in a incredibly violent climate and I felt more prepared with a toolkit to raise girls. So that's been interesting. I am married. I have a wonderful partner. His name is Joey. And he was my birth partner both times, but we'll get into that. Obviously, our relationships have completely changed, being becoming parents and a family. But I think what's really amazing is that we're now, what, like our last born is three. So starting to find each other as lovers again, which has also really been so lovely. And I live in West Dean, um and I work a full-time job but I also write and have my own little podcast with a girlfriend of mine also on mothering um, but more around the project of mothering and what that means and kind of reflections on that Um, yeah I think that that's pretty much me so please share share the name of your
0: podcast with us
2: um, it's called Mamas with Attitude. It's uh, MWA. And it's a very cheeky spin-off of NW- NWA, which was a hip-hop uh, group in the 90s. So Yeah, I love, love the it. name. <laughs> yeah.
1: So how did you meet your your partner, Joey? Since um, that's where it all started.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is where it all starts, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was single. I had just come out of like a 10 year relationship. Well, not just, maybe I was a year into being single and it was wonderful. And by that point I decided I wasn't looking for anything serious and I certainly wasn't going to date a South African man. And I know that like this will probably be contentious, but I think South African men ha- are traumatized and have a lot of work to do. Um, so by that point, I was like really just going out to jazz clubs and theaters and gallery openings and living my best life and literally organizing all my girlfriends to do the same. And I met Joey in a jazz club. And he says that he had been seeing me four years before um, working at Exclusive Books and then in Rosebank and then like in various different restaurants, et cetera, and had been wanting to to reach out, but just didn't know how because I he he, he tells me I have a fuck-off face. Can we swear on the podcast? I'm not sure. Is that allowed?
1: Yeah. No. no filter.
0: Real <laughs> and raw and yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> so
2: um, finally we meet at this jazz club and he literally has to place himself in front of me because I'm so tired of like, you know South African men have a tendency, I suppose it's actually globally, me- mediocre men have this tendency of just going, hello, and then our conversation must just start from that. Like, And you're like, you've got to come with something more interesting, right? So he eventually had to like <laughs> place himself in front of me and like start a conversation. And, um, I made him work for it and it was wonderful. And then of course I kept giving him signals cause he's, he's really good looking. I kept giving him signals that like, Hey, we should do this another time. Like this is an appropriate conversation to have in a jazz club. We should meet for coffee or go out for a meal or whatever the case is. And he did not ask for my number. So I literally washed my hands off of him immediately. And I was like, okay, not interested. I'm not playing these games and carried on with my night. And then he knew somebody who I was hanging out with. So he got my number and called me the next day and picked, I picked up the phone and he continued our conversation as if we hadn't left. And we moved in together probably a month into our relationship and it was really quick in a way, you know, like we, we were pretty much inseparable. My mother says you barely came up for air for the first year. You know, she wasn't sure what we were surviving on because it wasn't food. She was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I met Joey.
0: So how did you make the decision to start trying to have a baby or did you um, always want to be a mother? How did that, how did that unfold?
2: I think I've always wanted to be a mother, but I have been reflecting more and more on, on this new generation of, of people um, who are a little bit more critical and also understand that they are there's choice, right? Um, I think that I was – I missed that generation. So I think in my mind, it wasn't like – there was a long kind of contentious discussion inside or internally around, like, do I want to be a mother? It almost seemed like this was the natural, the next big chapter for me. I was always going to become a mother, right? There was never a a, a real discussion around it, if the truth be told. And I knew that I wanted to have a baby with Joey because I think – Him and I align on a lot of our principles, our values, the way in which we want our lives to unfold. But it was interesting because we were probably a year and a bit into our relationship and we went abroad and did a five-week Europe thing. And we came back and we were like, we're selling the car. We're going to have these babies and we're going to be riding around on our bicycles. And, like, it's going to be amazing because we were in, like, Germany and and France and, you know, all these places, the Netherlands, and seeing all these, like, young parents who would, like – take their kids along to beer gardens and it just looked like so much fun and the kids kind of fit it into their lifestyle. And we were like, that's what we want. We want that. We want to replicate that in Joburg and got needless to say, got back to Johannesburg and we're like, Oh wait, it's a completely different context. Right. Um, You're not allowed to take your kids or not, not that you're not allowed, but like, it's not as you don't pull your kids into your life in the same way culturally, I think, and they fit into your life rather than you kind of like let's organize a play date. Let's it seems so
1: compartmentalized in SA culturally. So, that, that you say that because I'm French and yeah. I was really surprised when I came here that I didn't see any babies around. You don't see babies in You're the like, restaurant. Where are they? Uh, where are yeah. they? Right? Yeah. They must be around
2: because there's people. We were all babies once, but where are they? <laughs> Exactly. No, 100%. But,
1: yeah. Yeah, and if you- well, in Europe, you would see people with babies everywhere. When you go out 100%. you take a baby with you, you carry your baby in the street uh, with a carrier. And
2: there's no time limit. It's not like you get judged for having your baby out at dinner at eight o'clock. Your baby fits seamlessly into your life. You know, whereas here, if you're in a restaurant and it's eight o'clock, people are like, that baby should be at home. That baby should be sleeping. This is too much stimulation for the kid. You know, like, and I remember reflecting very much and being like, that's the kind of mother that I want to be, but also not realize. Well, I think I knew that culturally there was just a very big, a very stark difference in terms of how we raise our children in south africa versus europe say um and then came back and realized okay shit actually this is not going to be okay for us for now and then waited a few more years finished my masters got a job did all the appropriate things that one does we then got married and i was quite keen to like i didn't want to wait i didn't want to have a baby in my later 30s i my mother had had my brother, in her later thirties, and me in her earlier 20, her early twenties, and I had seen the stark kind of differences around the ways in which she mothers um and I just decided I actually wanted more energy, I wanted to be more like on the ground playing with the kids, you know like doing all of that kind of stuff with them, and I felt like it was more appropriate um in my earlier thirties, but I think that that too has just also been a very interesting experience because I think you make up your mind to embark on this thing. And you think you have all your shit in place and then the child comes and it's like a rug is pulled out from under you, you know, like, and I think that that no matter how you think you, you're you prepared, you're just never prepared for it. You can't be.
0: Absolutely.
1: And speaking about preparation, how was your journey to decide what type of birth you wanted? So,
2: yeah. So I think that this is obviously where Theoni plays a pivotal point uh, or role is I knew I wanted a natural birth. My mom had a Caesar with both me and my brother, and obviously it's 19 years apart, so like very different circumstances. For her second one, she was, for my brother, she was trying for a VBAC. She had gone to Linkwood, which were, at the time, and this was this is eons ago, was the first ma- uh, maternity clinic that was set up just for birthing, which I really liked. It wasn't like, you know, there was other stuff at play. And there were a lot of, it was midwife run at the time. It was really wonderful. It was in a way what Genesis was. I don't know if Genesis still is. I don't know. um so, so needless to say, I saw my mom go through that journey. And I was 19 at the time. And I saw her do a lot of the readings and a lot of the thinking and work around what does that mean? like And why does she want that kind of birth? And she was very open about talking about the fact that she was trying for a VBAC. Needless to say, it wasn't successful. But I then think that that was just really important for me. Like I wanted to have a natural vaginal birth. Um I have a propensity towards depression. My entire family, my on my father's side does. Um and I'd been on and off um antidepressants for for a while and I had done the reading around how seizures are more likely to bring on postpartum depression. So we thought there was a better route even from a mental health perspective. So once we had decided on a natural vaginal birth, I was very keen on getting a midwife involved and then started to have the the, the conversations around a doula and what is the difference between a midwife and a doula and how do we how do how How do I find the right kind of birthing team, and what does that look like and For a while, there was a lot of discussion around potentially my mom being involved um, and for a load of reasons decided to not go that route and go a very intimate kind of partner facilitated and held um, route with theoni playing a very pivotal role to both of us around support um, and I think that the water birth kind of just came um through conversations with Theoni, through the hypnobirthing course that we did with Theoni around like pain management and so on. And I'm really glad we went that that route because the labor was 16 hours, you know, and it was wow. it was painful. <laughs> I know we shouldn't say that, Theoni. I know we're supposed to pick the words well, that we use, et cetera, but yeah, it was it wasn't it wasn't comfortable. Let's say that.
0: <laughs> and so I mean we did quite a lot of prep. I mean, as as Deborah asked, you know, what prep you did. And I think we did, I mean, we did emotional stuff. We did kahuna massage. I mean, I wasn't doing Mm crania at the time, but we were doing lots of things to really get you in the right place. Yeah. And, you know, I think the one thing that played a role that also showed up in your birth was, and that we worked through a lot, is that you had a termination at some point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be so valuable if you're happy to share with the audience on how was that and how did that play. I mean, you can do it now, you can weave it into the birth wherever you feel is appropriate.
2: No, happy to talk about it now. I think it's actually important. When you reached out earlier to ask, would it be okay if we if we covered it? I actually thought um, contextually, it's really important that we cover it because given where things are in the US with Roe and Wade and the fact that like, you know, like there's, there's been a lot of, we've made some huge progress as women around reproductive rights and access to reproductive rights. And we're seeing a lot of that being diminished. And it's wild for me. But so yes, I did want to talk about it. And just to correct you, I haven't had one termination. I've had three. Okay, which is in and of itself like a huge thing, right? I was in a long-term relationship with um, a person for 10 years and fell pregnant the first time when I was 18 because we were just being stupid, let's be honest. And my mom knew about it and we went to go, we we had to find a gyne, um who was, was able to do a T.O.P. I'm not, actually not sure where Mari Stopes was at the time. For some reason, we didn't go that route. I remember finding the gynae, and then it had to essentially be be put through the medical aid in this covert way of like I had miscarried, and they were they miscarried, and they were just going to scrape out my uterus, and I was put under for that, and remember waking up, and my entire body felt like I had been assaulted, like I had been like it was bruised and sore, you know, and then I left for the UK to um, go and work there for a while and travel with my partner. And we were staying in a small little village in Suffolk and there was no access to contraception as we like, as we know it. So we were using condoms, the condom broke and uh, sorry, I know I'm going into a lot of detail, but these things happened, the condom broke. And I'd asked my, we didn't have access to a car. So I'd asked my staff house manager if she could get the morning after pull and she did, but she got it after the 72 hours. So I had fallen pregnant by that time, clearly fertile as fuck. I promise you guys I am super fertile. Like it's actually ridiculous. And I'm grateful for it, but it's also a fucking curse, right? So fell pregnant and then I felt so such a level of shame. I was 18, I felt like I should, I was turning 19. I should have known better. I'd just gone through this TOP in South Africa. I was now by myself with this other 18 year old partner who we felt like we were so grown, but we were really not grown. We were young kids out in the UK. I wanted my mom desperately, but my mom was pregnant with my brother by this point, and my sister had been raped in South Africa, a story for a whole other time. So I just felt like I couldn't reach out to my mom because I was like, I should have known better. I should have put in more preventative measures. Now I'm going to be talking to her about the fact that I've got to go through a TOP again in a foreign country. And that was where we accessed an abortion through Marie Stopes. And I remember being managed by the South African, black South African nurse in Murray Stopes. And she was wonderful. It was like a piece of home. She was incredibly maternal and just was like, these things happen, and it's okay. You are going to be okay. And when you when you can emerge and when you can look up, you will figure out how to stitch it back all together. But being very scared. And not, I wonder what the fear was. I think it was predominantly shame, actually, if I have to think about it. I think I was shamed, you know, Um, ashamed of, of the mistake. And then, needless to say, so then we fast forward two, three years. I'm in first year university back in South Africa. I'm on the pill, I'm feeling like I've got my shit together, I'm finally studying what I want to study, I've traveled, the the two years of traveling was hard for a whole range of reasons, predominantly around the T.O.P., my mom falling pregnant, having a baby and my sister being raped, so big things were happening. It felt like things were starting to settle and then I got sick and I went on to um, antibiotics and didn't realize, because the doctor hadn't said, that antibiotics cancel out your pill and I fell pregnant for the third time. And then accessed uh, Murray Stopes in South Africa was quite a different thing. At that point, I was 21. So, and I had been in this long-term relationship with somebody who I knew I probably shouldn't have been with by that point. Like we were too young, too intense, too quick. He's a wonderful human being. Don't get me wrong. But I, I feel like I decided at that point, well, maybe I should think about having the baby because at that time, my grandparents and my mom um, were like, we will help you. We'll help you finish university. It'll be hard, but we can we can do this if this is the decision that you wanna make. And I remember saying to him, what do you think about um, having this kid? And he said, well, have you made the appointment at Murray Stopes? And it was very clear for me then that he just wasn't ready. And I think actually, you know, those sorts of things, even that can be a gift because I'm grateful that he was as honest as he as he was, even though that was incredibly sore. It was really painful period for me. And then went through a third T.O.P. at Murray Stopes, which was probably the easiest one that I've done in a way, um, physically. But emotionally, yes, I think it was one of the harder ones because I was in my twenties. And I just was like, this is the third time. And my mother, when she said to me, you need to stop using abortion as contraception. And I was like, I'm not, that's not my intention, you know? Um, But it just was, it was what it was. So I think that that really did come up in the birth, as you've said, the in the sense that I was for a while dealing with um, how, how does one put it? Like, you make the decisions to not have the kids for very, very legitimate reasons at that particular time. And now I'm in my 30s and I'm married and we have a house and I've got a job and the and all the things have kind of fallen into place. What makes me think that everything will go smooth and sailingly? And I just felt like I didn't necessarily deserve a, a, a smooth, easy birth because of the decisions that I had historically made. I know that that sounds quite punitive, um, but again, speaking into that space of shame. And I I think what was really amazing was that when it came up, there was a sense around that you and myself had built up that relationship. There was such a level of trust in that room And that you were able to say at the time, in the most gentle way possible, do you think that this could possibly be some of the things that you're thinking? And I recall feeling like a level of, actually, this is it. And Joey then coming and speaking to me in the most incredible way around, like, every decision that you have made in your life has brought you to this moment. And the, it is neither the right nor the wrong decision. We don't think about life in those ways. It's life is complex. Um, you've made decisions, and these decisions have prepped you and given you the tools that you need for this particular moment. And it will be fine. You're going to be a good mother. You know, you're going to be okay. This is going to be fine. And he gave me this proper pep talk. I still, we, I think, I have a photograph, the only that you took of me on one side of the the, the shower. Wow and him on the other side of the shower, leaning over, like talking to me, like quite earnestly around like the various different decisions that I had made and, and where I was at um, emotionally. And then me being like, okay, okay, let's get this baby out, you know, like, (laughs) so yeah, it definitely came up. But I think, you know, like, whatever that may be for you, I think it could be sexual trauma. It could be, stuff around your, your mother, you know, that stuff comes up, it comes up in your birth, whether you like it or not. And that's what is so incredible about the birthing experience is that in a way you are birthed as well.
1: Absolutely. Is it something before, before you gave birth, was was it something that you talked about or or tried to process on your own?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've gone into therapy sessions. Um, I've had, I've had multiple therapists. I, had when we, when Joey and I got together, like I said, things moved quite quickly. And I said to him very early on in the relationship, I need you to know this about me, because if I feel pregnant again, it's not an option. It's actually not on the table for me. So I was very candid about um, the experiences that I've had. And I think important to talk about, because I think women don't talk about it, because there's a huge, there's still a stigma, you know, and I think it, I've been fortunate in the sense that um, I haven't been made to feel that level of stigma in the healthcare services that I've, th- that I've accessed, but I know for a fact that even though we've legislated that abortion is legal in South Africa, when women go, nine times out of ten, when black women go to these facilities to get abortions, they are deeply, deeply shamed, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah,
1: and I think women are so ashamed that they don't even talk about it with their girlfriends or, mm. or their family. Um, mm-hmm. which is really a shame because then it means we are all keeping things for ourselves. And mm. if we all opened about it, it would make things much more normal and mm. acceptable. Mm. And I, yeah, I'm very shocked that uh, the US right now uh, decided that there was no longer a right for women to decide to have an abortion or not. It's unbelievable. But, yes. Yeah. Especially when no, I hear your story, it's the story of so many women mm. and I'm very touched because I actually had an emotion and it's been really, really hard for me to, to talk about it. So I'm very touched that yeah. you, you shared. Thank you. Thank you. When you are saying, you know, I was 18, uh, I didn't, you know, know what I was doing with my life, you're like, well, isn't it good that women can decide that Absolutely. they can't bring a child in those conditions and decide when Absolutely. it's the right time and give Absolutely. a proper life to a baby. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing that.
2: No, you're more than welcome. I think I am interested in the first book that I I'm, I'm actually working on a book now to write about it because I think I recall going through the experiences and just feeling like I could I couldn't articulate where I was at because you feel the sense of. Agency and empowerment to be able to make that decision. But the decision is complicated and the ramifications of that decision are complicated. It's not an easy thing. Like my mom said to me, she, my mom has had an abortion. And she said to me, Why are you lamenting this? Like, do you regret the decision? Do you wish you had the baby? And I didn't wish that I had the baby. Um, in any way shape or form but I was left with a feeling of hollowness of sadness of loss of grief you know but not to say that I wanted to have the kid either like it was an incredibly complex place and I remember looking for books and movies or something about the experiences that I was going going through because I wasn't able to articulate words at that time and just coming up for naught because it just almost seemed like that's not something that we talk about
1: you know okay so how did your pregnancies go um, how did the first uh, one go and then how did this like how how were they different or how were they similar to each other
2: it was so different um, the first pregnancy i i just i felt so pregnant i was i was under <laughs> water all the time i just felt like i was perpetually under like water i felt like i just became really massive I think I had low-grade nausea throughout, and the only thing that made me feel better was to eat. And I just ate, like, everything under the sun, but predominantly toasted cheese sandwiches and pizza, nothing that was really good for me or the baby. The only thing that I ate in bucket loads that was good for the baby was pineapple, weirdly enough. And it was just a really difficult pregnancy. I was really massive He was really big and I was dealing with, I was going through a lot with like Theoni seeing her on a, I think I saw you on a weekly basis, Theoni. Like we were going through like really intensive sessions. I was, you know, really trying to grapple with like, what does the next chapter look like? And then with Amu, you've got a kid already. So you can't revel in like, the naps or the sleeping or the lack of sleeping or the discomfort or whatever, because you've got this toddler who's like, get on with it, mom, you know, like keep it moving. But I was a lot healthier um, with Amu and I, Drank a lot of like green juice and I wasn't as big and I really enjoyed it. And I dressed my belly up more. And I, I think that out of the two pregnancies, he was certainly the easier one. And I remember my midwife for both births was um, Karen van der Maver. And I remember coming to see Karen in the second pregnancy and she was like, this one's going to be your healing birth. And I was like, I don't feel like I need a healing birth. Like my first birth was absolutely fine. But then when we gave birth to Amu, in a way it was healing, you know, it was, it was gentle and like quite different in a way. I just, I think I knew my body knew what to do and I trusted my body completely.
0: Share with us. How were the births?
2: The first one was, I thought I was in labor for like the last two weeks of my pregnancy, but it really wasn't. It was all those like usual. What is it called? Um, Fiona? labor. Well, Braxton. Yeah, so Mm. I, I, but I was literally convinced. Every time I had like a contraction, I'd be like, I'm going to run a bath. This is it. We're going in. It's going to be amazing. Let's go, you know. And like I was two (laughs) days late for Akani, 40 weeks and two days, and I was just like, oh, my God, this guy needs to come now. It is exhausting. (laughs) Um, It was a 16-hour labor. My water broke at midnight. I had gotten up to go to the loo, and then I was standing in a puddle, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I didn't pee. So I got back into bed and I said to Joey, I think I'm in labor. And Joey was like, Great. Turned around and went back to sleep. And I was like, but he was like, Karen told me, the only told me I need to save my energy. You're, nothing's gonna happen now. You know? <laughs> so I then got up and I went to go and puzzle for a little bit and made myself peanut butter and toast and some tea. And I was swirling my hips endlessly, thinking, any moment now, I remember sending messages to friends being like by seven o'clock. I'm going to have this baby, 7 in the morning. And it didn't (laughs) happen that way. Um, We left for Genesis, I think, at um, 7, 7.38. And we got a private room, which was really nice. We set up. Joey kept on playing music. I kept on saying to him, turn the music off. I just wanted the affirmations (laughs) to be played. Like, that was the only thing that I wanted to listen to. I was in and out of the bath. In and out of the shower. The shower was amazing. Like, being able to have that water on my back was wonderful. Really did struggle with with the first one. I felt like I was on a rack, a medieval rack, and I was being pulled apart. Like, because he was big. Tell him how big he was. He was 4.64 at birth. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: that's
2: Big baby. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. um, and I remember I did, so I didn't go the, the pain medication route because it just didn't occur to me. Like I just breathed through it. And I remember, Theona, I don't think, I, I'm sure you will remember, I remember. this actually. I, I was so high on oxygen. I was so high on oxygen that I couldn't Oxytocin. see my husband. And yeah. oxygen because of all okay, the breath. I was it's just like, really right? Oh, okay. And oxygen and breath, right? When I was couldn't in the air? see Joey. <laughs> exactly what was in there. I couldn't see Joey. And he was right in front of me. I looked up at Theo or um, Karen. I can't remember who. And I said, where's Joey? And they were like, um, honey, he's like literally right in front of you. And he's like, I'm here, baby. I'm here. And it was literally because I was just like, I'm going to breathe this baby out. And then... <laughs> with the pushing, I just kept on screaming, fuck. And then the only being like, we're bringing the baby into a gentle space. And me being like, in between every contraction, I'm sorry, Akani. I'm sorry, Akani. I'm sorry, Akani. And then as I push, fuck. So that was like my first birth. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, tore, I tore for that one. Not not badly, actually, in retrospect, but I did tear because he was big. And I think the position that I birthed in, Tioni later came um, and just had a conversation with me, which was saying, actually, you had closed your pelvis in the way that I was birthed, in the position that I was told to birth in by my midwife, right? So um, that was also really useful in having the same birthing team go into the next birth because – Theonia and I actually didn't hook up um, a lot during that pregnancy we did this we did um what what did we do thiione with you what what did you call that exercise with Joey and myself Joey and I were going through a bit of a rough time we had to reconnect with the baby so we went to go and see thiione we spoke to thiione thioni did an exercise with us just to connect with the baby and so on so i didn't have a lot of like run-up prep and i didn't really feel like i needed it if the truth be told we were moving house we were renovating it was like really crazy time as these things do when you're pregnant (laughs) i don't know what that's about but yes as as these things normally are and um then i um went into labor with amu at 38 weeks and five days and i remember it was the day, it was the 8th of May in 2019. It was, it was our local elections and we went to go and vote, me and Joey and Akani. We went for breakfast. We had a play date with a kid. We came back, we were hanging pictures. I kept on swirling my hips because I was like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but I didn't want to like hope for anything because I was so over with, well, not so over, but I was over with Akani. And then my mom was like, you're in labor. And I was like, there's no way I'm in labor. Like, no ways, and I just kept going and then my mom was like, "Get into a bath," and she then started timing my contractions, and she was like, "Have you packed a bag for the hospital and i hadn't so it was like the typical second baby syndrome where you're just not as like <laughs> prepared and you 're like taking it so much more easy. We left for the hospital at seven in the evening i didn 't get a private room. I wasn't even bummed at it. I was just like, let's just keep it moving. And I had i um, at nine. It was a two and a half hour labor. It was wonderful. It was just really easy. We Theonia and I were very clear around like we were going to manage the midwife around the the position that I was going to go into because the midwife prefers that position to catch the baby. And Theonia and I were like, nope, we're not doing it because that was what made me tear last time. So it was just like, you know, there was a level of clarity and agency and ownership. What was interesting about Amul is when you're talking about pregnancy, I bled with Amur at 11 weeks and I had actually thought that I'd miscarried, but there was nothing wrong. It was just a a, a hemorrhage. There was absolutely nothing wrong with him. He was intact. Everything was fine. It was quite traumatic because we had to wait until the next day to go. And then in my labor, I bled a lot as well. And Karen couldn't account for where the blood was coming from. Do you remember, Theoni? Yeah. And I think what was incredible about having a doula who has an alternative and, and very similar kind of perspective on life was that at that time, Joey and I were going through a really difficult time. And Theoni said to me, "What did you, you said, blood, blood is 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 a sign of family. So this kid is basically just being like, you guys need to get it together." We're all a family. We need to deal with it, right? So it was it was a beautiful labor. It was really wonderful,
1: beautiful. <laughs> so thanks for sharing your your birth stories. Um, sounds like uh, you had interesting birth stories um, with a very big baby that you managed to push out without any help, only your <laughs> own body and your own power. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, and I like destroying during labor. That's, um, there's something I've heard before and I I was wondering, am I going to swear because I'm French and I like to swear, but I didn't feel like swearing when I I was giving birth. Oh, that's good.
2: That's very good. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't with my second one, but sure,. <laughs> Agami.
0: you knew um, what was coming because he's such a <laughs> such an interesting child <laughs> You're like, Oh no,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um and how how was uh, the postpartum period for you Uh, how did you experience it did you find it um, challenging and did you have any support how did you manage that who doesn't find postpartum challenging that's what i want to know can
2: you find me that person Mm -hmm. and then i would love to know what is in their dna or whatever but so what's so interesting deborah i think is that i was on high alert my entire team was on high alert joey Theoni. Um, Karen, were are on high alert for postpartum depression, because I have struggled with depression in, in the past. And I do struggle with depression. Now. I'm actually on meds as a, a chronic thing, basically, right. So mm-hmm. we were all on high alert, And we were I was thinking, okay, it's going to look like a very specific way, like, I, like all my other depressions won't be able to get out of bed, lots of crying, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And at the time when Agani came i was obviously completely enamored and in love um completely overwhelmed i hit the 3 day mark and like clockwork i was in the blues quite hard joey was literally like i don't know what to do loads of tears he called his mom his mom came moved in stepped on our couch she would come and she would keep agani with her bring agani to to us for to me to feed and we had a helper um, and my mom and I were going through stuff. So she was around, but not like a proper full, full-time full kind of support. Joey went back to work very quickly because he was like, I have to go work. I've got to go work. But really it was because he just, he was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. It's hectic. And then things started to settle a bit and I felt like, okay, cool. Maybe this is just what it looks like. And actually it was in doing our podcast and in having an interview with the postpartum doula, that I realized that I was actually struggling with, I basically like, diagnosed myself like three years later, I was struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety. And I recall being in a car with Akani and I was saying to Joey that like, I've never had anxiety issues before. So I just, I've always been very cautious because it's South Africa and I'm a woman, but I've never had massive amounts of anxiety. And I remember being in the car with a, with um, Akani and being literally like, somebody's going to come and, hijack the car and take the baby. They're going to come for the baby. And f- and like playing out all these scenarios that felt so real for me, even though they were incredibly far-fetched. And I was like, maybe this is just what maternal kind of protectiveness Instinct. looks like. Maybe, mm-hmm. exactly. Maybe this is it. This is normal. This is it, you know. And I'm going to live like this for the rest of my life. And that's just what it is. And then fast forward to three years, then realizing as I, I had just had Amo, that this um, postpartum dealer was talking about her experiences. And she said that she went into a kind of a form of a mania where she actually had to be booked in. Um, she checked herself in and, and had to take a break, et cetera. And I then recalled just being like, fuck, that's actually what I was dealing with. I was dealing with postpartum depression and anxiety. It wasn't normal. And then shortly afterwards, getting myself on um, a set of meds, and I was just lucky that I landed on the right kind, the quantity of meds and the right meds at the right time. So six months into Amo's life, I was on antidepressants and it has literally been life-changing. And what's been interesting for me is that it's obviously not a switch. It's a ability to have more capacity and capacity mm-hmm. that I just normalized that I didn't have like I'm just not that type of mom I just don't I'm I'm not that way inclined but actually it was because there was a debilitating mental health issue that I just wasn't aware because it didn't present itself in the ways in which i had thought it would come so i wasn't in bed i was functioning i was working i was writing i was thinking i was laughing with friends etc but i was always anxious i never took it was actually a, jo- a running joke with my mom i never took a gunny out by myself because i was like i'm going to be attacked and the baby's going to be stolen away from me it was like a surety you know mm. um and I think now it's really interesting because now I'll take the two boys out by myself. And my mom's like, who are you even? And it's because three <laughs> years later, I've been on meds consistently. I'm taking care of my mental health and I just have more capacity. So I, think, I hmm. think becoming a mom is probably the most challenging thing I've ever done, for sure. And I remember asking Joey for a second kid and he was like, why? And I was like, because it's the most (laughs) challenging thing I've ever done. And it's grown me in fundamental ways. Um, it's, 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 it's a remarkable thing, but I remember being um, in the car with my mom and looking over at her and saying, why didn't you tell me about this? And she was like, because you wouldn't have believed me. And I think that there's an element of truth in that it kind of feels like mothering and motherhood is like this cult Um, the secret cult that like you get initiated by your kids into, and then you can recognize other mothers and you know that they're going through the shit that they're going through, even if they present otherwise, like social media is a demon in the sense that like we present ourselves, like we have our shit together, but we don't actually. And postpartum is fucking hard. And it's also the, the, the first kid I think is the one that pulls you two as lovers away. If you guys are in a relationship, and forces you into a family and to fill a family dynamic, right? But that's really hard. I felt very alienated from my partner for a long period of time and I'm in a heteronormative relationship. And I was just like, men don't get it. They are quite mediocre in this regard. They don't understand the experiences that I'm having. I wasn't able to talk to him about it. Every time we did talk, it would result in like really resentful conversations and like quite punitive conversations So I'm sorry if you can hear my kid in the background, but I think, I think postpartum is, is, is super, super, super rough, you know, and the second time around, what we did do was we set up a very clear sense around what the system would be that would operate and how long it would be there for. So we asked my mother and daughter to move in with us. She stayed with us for three months and then eventually broke, had to break up with us. She was like, I'm going home. And I was like, But you're coming back, right? And then she was like, Yeah, yeah, I'll be back on Monday. And she never came back because she was just like, Deal with your stuff, guys. Like, I can't be here raising your kids with you, right? But we had my mother-in-law for the three months, and then we also had a meal train. We had Theoni, we had Karen, we were a lot more equipped. But because we were a lot more equipped, just as a a further caveat to the to the, the story, because we were a lot more equipped and we were on the second baby and I was like, okay, we got this. We're gonna manage this properly. Our relationship almost imploded and we were very close on a divorce. And it's simply because there were things that we hadn't dealt with from our that popped up properly in our in our in, in in a space where I think we all felt a little bit more held. And we had a series of really hard conversations with each other. And in a way, I like I was on saying so hard on the relationship right and i think your person knows you and they've seen you in so many different settings but nothing fully challenges you like sleep deprivation and a baby you know that actually it's a it's a rough time it's a it's a lonely time no matter yeah. i think the support that you have
0: kathleen um, i mean you didn't mention but of course because i know you but could you share a little bit about um just your breastfeeding with the boys and how that was for you?
2: So it was really – I loved it. And, I mean, with Akani, it was interesting. He latched – both of my boys latched quite easily. There, I did have a lot of support, though, from yourself and Karen in those visits, the only you would come and do home visits and just, you know, assist me with the latches and the holding, et cetera. For the first one, I felt like I had to – um, breastfeed all the time with the breastfeeding pillow, etc. I didn't feel like I could do it on the fly like <laughs> you do with the second. Um, but it was a, it was an easy experience. I had a lot of milk. I didn't have an issue with milk. But with Akani, because of the postpartum, I think, in retrospect, at seven months he bit me and looked at me in the eye and smiled. And I was like, fuck this, I'm done. I'm not doing this with this child. And literally, that was it. I didn't breastfeed him again. Oh, wow. And that was how he was weaned. And he, it was like... I, we gave him formula and he was like, Oh, okay. We're moving on to this now. Great. There was no trauma. He was like, cool. We're done. Shut he didn't try and get like touch my breasts. He wasn't interested. He just was like, I got my bottle. Actually, this is better for me. I can go to my kokwani. I can go and do whatever I need to do. I'm independent. I don't need you. You know, it was like a completely different thing. And then with Amu, I was like, I just loved breastfeeding and I've breastfed him for a year and almost nine months. I think I was really sad when the journey ended and he's still the Nana guy. Like he's still like, he goes to bed holding Nana, you know, like he, he, that's his comfort and I love it. And it's just, it's a very different dynamic because I'm, I think it's, again, it's speaking to
0: capacity, you know, and what you have capacity for. Absolutely. And so how was it navigating being a mother of two? I mean, you have touched on it a little bit, but is there anything else you wanted to add to you know, like as the family dynamics changed with one baby, then, of course, the dynamics changed with now two babies. And it's like, well, uh-huh. how do we navigate this? And then it's the, the first child. And the first child, you've got a relationship with Makani. You know what he likes. You know what he doesn't like. And this baby comes along. You don't know this baby. And how mm-hmm. to how to blend that all together. I think it, it it was tough
2: for the first while. But I think that no matter if it's one, two, three – Whenever there's a new person who's entered into a household, it all takes a bit of getting used to and getting to know each other, right? So I think what, what, what has been incredible about being a mother of two is watching their relationship. I, I can't say it enough. I, I even get emotional just thinking about it in the sense that, like, it's an entirely independent relationship away from me. Um, and yes it's because they're brothers and I facilitated just that but I facilitate almost nothing else and what I love is how protective they are of each other but also how they can fight and they will they will be pissed with each other but if you try and intervene they're like hey back off don't talk to my brother like that you know like I can talk to my (laughs) brother like that but you can't so um I've really enjoyed that I love that so much and I think being a mom of two, I can't imagine it another way, if the truth be told. I was an only child for a very long time, and I've really enjoyed having a, a fuller household. And I think that if we had endless money, Joey and I would probably just keep procreating, you know, and just keep having babies. <laughs> but the reality is that they are costly. And I just like the fact that like there are a number of different relationships at any given point in our household, you know, there's, there's a space that they can go into. So if they're pissed with the one, they can come and hang with me or, you know, like we can just all kind of keep it moving. So it's just, it's full, it's chaotic, it's loud. Both (laughs) of my boys are so loud. They're so loud. My mom says I'm (laughs) not too, which I think is fair, but it's wonderful in, in all of that.
1: They are too loud, but it's too quiet when they're not there, here.
2: It's not too <laughs> quiet. I don't know what that means there, but I love the quiet. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I, I am the mother who would be like, go away to your grandmother for a week. You know, like <laughs> I'm not the protective mom. I'm perfectly fine for downtime.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what words of wisdom would you like to share with moms uh, who are about to become parents? That you wish you were told before.
2: I don't know if this is a fair question, because I think you can't fully prep someone. I think just be just know that, that this too shall pass and you <laughs> will sleep again. And even though this too shall pass, you will never be the same person. Um you are going to be irrevocably a different person, a changed person. But it's an opportunity for you to really tap into what that means and a lot of the kind of hard work that comes with that and if you do do the hard work around like figuring out who you are as a mother but also who you are independently of a mother so not just as a mother it's incredibly rewarding it's, it's a huge privilege to be able to bring children into this world and raise them um, and provide them with the opportunities that they need and to see the world through their eyes so like today I I, Ammu was in my study and he Is particularly interested in a big pen because he's quite amazed at the fact that you can push it and then the pen appears and then you pop it back in and the pen disappears. And he was like, Oh my god, I'm (laughs) gonna go and show Akani. And I was just like, (laughs) what's amazing for me is that like it's just really such an incredible thing to be able to be so curious and see that level of curiosity and that level of joy over seemingly very small, seemingly insignificant things, right? And if you have the capacity and the mental health to be able to be in that moment with your child. That's really dope too. Like I was like, it is cool, isn't it? It's so amazing. Like this is an, these <laughs> pens are incredible. Like, you know, and, um, but if you're, but if you're not, and if you don't have the capacity and the mental health, also be gentle on yourself and know that that too is fine. You know, it's such a crazy ride, but I think just you have to show up every day like you would to life. And it just forces a level of courage and self-reflection that I think Very little else does, actually.
1: Yeah, you know, before becoming a mother, I didn't really understand the essence of when people say, oh, it brings so much joy to have a baby. But like now seeing my 11-month-old baby babbling and always being so joyful for no reason, I observe him and I think, when did we adults lose this joy? Absolutely. Just happy to be here, you know? And I I love that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we don't actually necessarily have to. I think we are living in a fundamentally failing system, right? So we also need to be gentle on ourselves and understand. I don't think it's us that loses it. I think we're forced into like a capitalist, racist, highly problematic system. And we're forced to kind of try and make that work. But I think that there is a lot more conversation now around the radical political um, act of seeking out joy for yourself and seeking out rest, Mm. you know, and that too is political. And that's important because it's kind of a, it's a resistance in a way to a really deeply flawed system. So Mm. I think for me, I'm like, I I think we can get it back. And I think that mothering is an opportunity to do just that, you know, to lie with your kid and look up at the, the, the clouds and talk about endlessly, what do you think that you see? You know, you would never have that opportunity otherwise. So there's just some really cool things about it that I just can't imagine my life without it now.
0: (laughs) Kathleen, um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and, yeah, and being brave and courageous to share all parts of your story. Because as we said, you know, a lot of people don't share all parts of their story and thanks for swearing at all, you know, and just for being real (laughs) and for being you because that's what's That's what this podcast is about. This is what we're wanting to do is to allow people to just show up real and who they are, as they are, so that everyone else can be the same and just be who they are.
2: And just to say, Deborah and Diony, this is a really necessary podcast. So thank you guys for putting it together and running with it the way that you are. I think we need to tell our stories and we need to show up authentically. And the more stories that we hear, the more we realize that actually we're not alone you know that there is a level of so- solidarity in the fact of like that you're alone in that dark room at night with a sleeping <laughs> with a baby who's not falling asleep but you're not alone actually and that other women have experienced um or other people have experienced very similar things so.
1: exactly yeah. and thank you so much for for sharing uh, your story and being so authentic we really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. Uh it was a beautiful way to start the day and um yeah uh, I hope our audience will um enjoy uh listening to this as much as we enjoyed speaking with you. And uh, if they want to hear more of your stories, uh they can tune in uh to your podcast Mamas with Attitude. Yes. Thank you so much Deborah. And thanks Deanie. Have a good thanks. day guys.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my word. I really, really loved that time with Kathleen. We laughed. We spoke about deep conversations, deep things that I think people don't or hesitate to speak about. And I love that
1: she was so open um, and honest and real. That was such a good episode. I enjoyed it really, truly. She's so funny. I laughed so much listening to uh, our conversation again. And at the same time, I'm so glad that she brought up so many important topics on the table. The abortion, it's such a taboo still nowadays with what what's happening in the world. And uh, for me, it was the first time saying publicly that I did have an abortion myself. So I'm also nervous um, about uh, having this episode out, but it means a lot. I think it's very freeing to be able to speak about these things and uh, discuss about it with other mothers. And I also like that she did say that it's not easy in a relationship to have two babies and that uh, she went through a rough time. I think nowadays on Instagram, you see all these perfect picture mothers having all, you know, all this shit together. And it's important that we uh, talk about what's difficult about being a mother. It is wonderful, but it's also not always easy. Kathleen's also got a beautiful
0: podcast called Mamas with Attitude, so please look out for her. She's on Instagram um, and all the platforms that you can find podcasts. In
1: two weeks' time, we're going to chat with Olivia, who is a very strong, funny uh, French woman living in Canada, and she's also my best friend. And you're going to enjoy this story because um, she had two babies very close, uh, one to another, and two very different birth stories, and I, I found that she's such a strong and resilient woman listening to her birth story. After Marius, like I really mm. realized that Mar- Marius' birth was really shitty, you know, in the sense of with everything that happened. I didn't realize at the time because you know you're you have the oxytocin levels and you're like in your own world. I don't think I would have done differently with Marius in the sense of like. You know, it was 42 weeks already, so I didn't want to risk to stay too long either in uh, the belly because of the meconium, you know, and all that thing. So I think it was also the right decision with Marius. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Mother podcast. We hope you felt inspired, touched, and that you learned something.
0: Feel free to share the love
1: and share this episode with your sisters, your mother, and your friends. Follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook, becomingmother.podcast. And you can email us at becomingmother.podcast at gmail.com. If you feel called to share your story, reach out to us.